Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Letters to the Thessalonians, and this will be the last um, Leader's Guide for the workbook. I'll be going over Lesson 19 and 20, and you'll also want to go over the reflections with your group. I'm starting on page 92, and it's time to get to work. Let's get to work. How does Paul express his authority? And um, how does he... You can see this is the first question. I'm just jumping right in there. How does Paul express his authority to give the rebuke that he gives and its instruction? And what impact should this have on believers? So Paul said, we command in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that means Jesus is the authority behind this statement. It is not instruction from mom or dad or boss or back in the day, Caesar, but it came from Paul, who was a representative of Jesus. And what impact should this have on believers? Um, there, there can be a variety of answers to this. I said that um, because it's coming from Jesus, we should listen, hear, obey, respect this command, and desire to obey this command. Because it's a command from Jesus, we can acknowledge the value and wisdom and goodness. This is not some man-made idea that we should question. So the, um, the next question is also a personal application of the instruction that we read. And, you know, I didn't read the instruction at all, but um, we're going to be talking about those instructions and they did read it in their homework. So do you recognize the authority of your church leadership? And why should you submit to their direction? Um, I hope, yes, the authority is recognized. And it is coming as Paul's authority came from the Lord, from Jesus. It's not just a chain of command. It's not the uh, professional structural pyramid and it's not just leadership, and your church's leadership is not a situation, well, where somebody's got to do it, so let's let them do it, and let's let them take the heat uh, or bear the burden. It is a direct calling, at least that's those who are in leadership according to God's call on their lives, those who are rightly in leadership, are doing so at the Lord's command to them. So they are tuned into him and leading as the Lord directs. And it's a blessing, what a blessing it is to be under the um, the leadership of those whom God has gifted and equipped and called to the leadership of the body. Uh, we are sheep who need shepherds, and the shepherds are the leaders, and they are there for protection and guidance. You were to uh, look at a chart, and this hopefully wasn't too hard. There could be multiple answers between, um, or identical, repeat, repeated 
notes between the first column and the third column. So let's just go through commands to believers first. So ask someone to share what they put in their first column. What were the commands to the believers in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15? Uh, From verse 6, keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and is not walking according to the tradition received, taught by Paul. This uh, walking irresponsibly, I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible translation right now as I talk through this. You might have a different word depending on what translation they used. So don't let somebody get hung up with that. Um, Verse 9 Sorry, that's not a command. Verse 10, if you don't work, don't eat. Verse 12, quietly work and eat your own food. Verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. Verse 14, don't associate with those, and I just put in quotes, a rebel. Don't associate with the one who's not following Paul's instructions. Um, And verse 15, don't treat that undisciplined, irresponsible person as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. Could someone please share the second column, the example of Paul? What was his example? From verse 7, he was not irresponsible among the Thessalonians. From verse 8, he did not eat their food free of charge. And he instead, instead of just taking stuff for free, he labored and struggled and worked day and night to make his own money to buy his own food. That's the implication here of his laboring and struggling. And then verse 9, why did he do this? He did it and the co-workers did it to make themselves examples to the Thessalonians. And he, we see from um, either that verse or other verses that we'll look at, um, Paul and the Ministers of the gospel had the right to the support of the Thessalonians, but they sacrificed that support they could have received, They and they worked themselves so as to be an example. So that's an example of Paul, is that he even wanted the Thessalonians to imitate him. Can we do that? Can we live our lives in such a way that we are living, hoping that others will want to follow our example. Paul definitely did that. Could someone share from the third column what the things were about improper behavior? From verse 6, walking irresponsibly and not according to the teachings, the traditions that Paul had given. Some were not working at all, verse 10. Verse 11, they were irresponsible and not working. Paul repeated that and described what what being irresponsible meant. Verse 11, also they were interfering with work of others. So they were not obeying Paul's instructions. You could also have that. You could have words like being idle and being busybodies, depending on the translation that they used. The next question is, how did Paul describe those who were not working? And you did just say this in the column. So you know what? Well, it leads to maybe leaders, you want to just repeat that as your introduction to the next words that we looked up. You know, 
Paul described those who were not working as being irresponsible and um, interfering or whatever your translation says. And I obviously gave you the words undisciplined and busybody. So those are the words we looked up. Undisciplined is the Greek word ataktas. And I have um, irregular, disorderly, idle, idleness, uh, being lazy, not in battle order. Not ship shape. This is a sloppy soldier. It definitely has some of that military orderliness as its backdrop. Um, then the next word we looked at was busybody. The Greek word is a big one that people won't want to say. Hmm, perigazomai. So I have as a definition to busy oneself with trifling, needless, useless matters. To work all around, to bustle about, to meddle. This is being preoccupied with something useless. And the summary of that is that the behavior of some of the believers in Thessalonica was not a worthy representation of being a Christian. That's at the top of page 94. So you want to highlight that. Third line, second line in that italicized paragraph. So let's look at our cross-references. How do the following verses emphasize our responsibility to represent Christ well? Colossians 4, 5. Maybe just call on ladies if you have a glance at their workbooks and see that they've done their homework. Um, call on them. Colossians 4, 5 tells us to conduct ourselves wisely towards outsiders and make the best use of time. So we should have wisdom. And um, outsiders are those who are opposed to the gospel. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 how do we represent, represent Christ well? Don't use flattering speech. Don't have greedy motive, motives. Lead a quiet life and mind your own affairs. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Work with your hands so that you may live properly towards the outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um... The box, I have this note written in there. Well, two notes. One of them is, somebody's watching you. We have a great influence. And um, we also want to be able to point to our own examples of obedience and or not be ashamed of the example and the testimony that we have. So we don't want to be a hypocrite regarding our lives and what God has commanded us to do. The next question, we've got two questions in one, so you'll probably read the whole thing, but then go back and kind of separate it because we've got the first one easier to answer than the second one, which is more personal. How did Paul model perseverance and sacrifice for the Thessalonians? Does his example, and oh, does his example influence you? to make any changes in your attitude or behavior. So how did Paul model perseverance? He labored and struggled. He worked day and night uh, so he would not be a burden. He did not have the expectation to be served, but he wanted to 
serve. He had the right to receive pay, but he sacrificed that pay that he could have received from others, and he also sacrificed himself physically, his time and energy, and he did it for others. He was caring more about the Thessalonians than about himself. So um, those are some thoughts about that. And this is an open question. They are not going to get it wrong. There can be multiple answers. Then the next one, the personal part, does Paul's example influence you to make any changes in your attitude or behavior? Just reminds me, Paul's example, I mean, he's very motivating to work hard, to serve others, to remember that others are more important than I am, uh, and even to be willing to sacrifice and to make sacrifices. I think that it is very important to remember that. I also have a little note here that I should not think I've got rights, and I'm going to make sure I get my rights. Paul did have a right, and he sacrificed that right. So, um, moving on, after a little bit of discussion, and you're going to want to allow more than one person to be getting in on the talk of that last question, will be on the top of page 95, the... Basic bottom line exhortation from Paul by the authority of Christ is for the irresponsible believers to get to work and support themselves. And the rest of the believers that were already doing the right thing are to keep on doing good. So now we're looking at the idea of work. And I think that this is important because... Many times we think of work as, okay, work is hard, and work is the result of the fall and sin, so it's hard and supposed to be hard, and Adam's going to sweat, you know, work and sweat, I'm trying to say, I can't remember the verse exactly, by the toil of his brow, so work's supposed to be hard, but let's get a fuller picture of work from these scriptures and the introduction I gave you about work. Work is a God-given, honorable, meaningful action. It's the evidence of purpose, and it is not just activity for the sake of activity, but for the sake of fulfillment. All work is an opportunity to give glory to God. Work can get really skewed out of whack for many reasons. So let's just focus on what the scriptures tell us because there's so many tangents that could come up but um, here's what we need to learn biblically right okay what did you learn from genesis 2 15 i have some brief summaries those are the ways that i answered these verses genesis 2 15 the lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it so God gave work. It was his command, his instruction. It was a good thing that God told Adam to do. This is before sin. So there was work before sin. Exodus 34, 21. God set it up so there were six days of work and one day of rest. And guess what that tells us? 
God knows our physical needs and abilities. We, At that point, he knew we could work six days a week. And actually, in Genesis 2, when he gave Adam the instructions, there was working every day. One of the main reasons that I understand this six days of work and one day of rest, the Sabbath day of rest, is a, that's a gift of God that is given to the Israelites when he took them out of Egypt. When they were in Egypt, the Israelites had to work under slave labor for seven days. I mean, every single day there was never any rest. But when you belong to God, there is rest in the Lord. So, and that's a a really big picture of our salvation that we are looking to our ultimate Sabbath rest. And that came up in Hebrews. So heaven is our Sabbath rest. But still, the thing that stood out to me when I was going through it right now is that God set up six days of work. So let us trust God to give us the strength and ability, the skill to do the work that is in front of us to do. Job 1.10 says God blessed the work of Job's hands. So what does that tell us about work? We should trust God for our successes. And we also can trust God when it's not successful. If we are doing our work, trusting God to begin with. So let's, let's start there and then look to God to handle how things turn out. And we do our best and trust him. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, The skillful man will stand before kings. This tells me that it is honorable and important to have a skill. A, I'll say it this way, a blue-collar workman is honored before a king. A king is honored because of his position and his wealth, but a blue-collar man is almost on equal standing with a king. That's one of the things that's being communicated through Proverbs here. He will be honored. So, any kind of work is good. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. Be joyful, do good, eat, drink, take pleasure in your toil. I wondered if this verse from Ecclesiastes could have been a backdrop to some of Paul's comments of, hey, if you're not working, you're not going to eat. Because think, hey, eat and drink and take pleasure in your toil. Your work is providing the um, whatever you need, whether you're a farmer and you back way back and you are getting your daily bread by the fruit of your labor on the farm in the fields, gathering, gathering the fruit, or Today, you're making money and going to the grocery store and buying it that way. So, I don't know whether that verse is a backdrop. And it's just possible to now seeing it in connection with the Second Thessalonians. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. I love this. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
This has been a very encouraging, motivating verse for me many times. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So work, again, is from the Lord, and there are good works to do, and God knows what he wants us to do. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not as for men. That is probably a very familiar verse. Uh, Another translation I have is do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for man. And in the box is a summary of something I mentioned before. Labor was a part of man's life before sin entered the scene. Below the box, work is not a dirty word. It may involve a dirty job, but work itself is a good thing. Um, On the next page, we are going to look at work and how it is the verses that tell us how God works. Work is a characteristic of God. Wow. So at the top of page 96, what do you learn about God's work? Genesis 1, 31, 2, 2, and 3. God saw everything he made and it was good. Well, <laughs> of course, what God does is good. Uh, God finished his work and he rested. So when did he rest? When it was finished. He knew when the work that he was doing was complete, had been brought to its perfect final plan. And he didn't need, he wasn't tired, but he just stopped because the work was done. So God knows for us when the work that we're doing is done. Or when his work in us is done. And we've seen that, well, it's coming up in the Philippines verse. I get ahead of myself. Exodus 32, 15, 16. Wow, the tablets, the instructions that were written were the work of God's hand. I just think that's such a cool verse. Psalm 111, 2 and 3. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied and delighted in. They are full of splendor and majesty. So, uh another wow thing about what God does. They are, his works are awesome. Isaiah 64, 8, God is the potter. We are the clay. So what does that say? We are the work of his hands. He is the designer. He's the shaper. And because of that, he knows us. John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is working, still working, and I am working. So this is just telling us God is always at work. So even though we saw in Genesis that God finished his work, he, he finished that particular work and, and rested as in he stopped creating uh, the heavens and the earth and all the animals and things that he did back then. But he's still at work sustaining. And that's super cool too. And it's kind of mind-blowing if we think of if God pulled back any of his sustaining influence, things are going to fall apart. <laughs> okay, Hebrew, oh no, sorry, Philippians 1.6. God who began a good work in me will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Hebrews 13, 20, 21, God equips us with everything to do his will and God works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So I love the emphasis of these uh, verses on God's work. 
God's work outside of us, around us, in the world that we see, and what he has done, and things that he does day to day. Psalm 111, great are the works. So many works. And he does things physically, tangibly. He does things spiritually. He touches us and um, teaches us intellectually. And he does work on us emotionally. So there are a variety of types of work that God does. So we have a golden opportunity. And hopefully... That is priming the pump for that next question. What is your perspective on work? And this is based on what we've considered so far. Paul's instructions and scripture's teachings. Um, I mean, for me, <laughs> the word work, I tend to go, oh, work. Work means something that's hard. And I need my mind continually transformed and renewed. So this lesson is always good for me to go back and think about. I, I can remember when I was getting ready to write the lesson on work. I'm like, uh-oh, what's this going to tell me? <laughs> but it is. it gives us the positive, biblical, godly perspective on work. And work is an opportunity to do good and glorify God. And the and so important, the work that God has for us to do is what he will give us the strength to do, but it's still okay to get tired doing it. The next question, um, this important instruction from Paul is tough love. How is the church to treat an undisciplined, non-working busybody? According to 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, 14, and 15. Keep away from that person. Don't associate with that person. Why? So that he or she may be ashamed. Don't treat them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. And then we had our little story. And at the end, I had a reflection of the story. That was, you know what? The, the hen kept going to those dog, cat, pig, and turkey, and giving them the opportunity to work. And they turned it down every single time. They were lazy. So all the way through to the end, they had a chance and did not take the opportunity that was given to them. And so they didn't work and they did not get to eat. Well, have some fun with that if you want to, or if you're, you know, check the time and don't even talk about the story. Lesson 20 on page 99, peace and grace. Ah, those two words. What a precious conclusion we have. While his final comments are short, they are very personal and intended to comfort his dear friends. Paul was all about comforting and exhorting and instructing so what a package, what a blessing, what an example for us. Let's not forget to comfort when we are exhorting and when we are instructing. Let there be that tender, loving comfort offered as it is needed. So um, you could ask people if they did anything artistic that they'd like to share as they wrote out that 
verse. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with all of you. At least have somebody read it. Um, it's in the italicized paragraph. It is our salvation and the indwelling spirit and the hope in Christ's return that gives us peace during the trials of today. So we looked up the word peace. It's the Greek word erene. And the Greek definition is peace, the state of peace. This is the opposite of war. It's an agreement with between persons and or nations. Inner rest and harmony, a state of reconciliation with God, an end time condition. The salvation of mankind brought about through Christ's reign. You could have a lot of different definitions, but the most basic definition here is that it is wholeness, harmony. This also gives security, safety, prosperity. And those basic words are reflections of the Hebrew word shalom, which would have to have been undergirding and the um, part of the meaning that Paul is giving as he shares this word, the Lord of peace. Um, why did the Thessalonians need peace? According to 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 6, at the top of page 100, we remember they were enduring persecution and affliction. They also were concerned. So they were upset and troubled. And when you're emotionally upset and troubled, you just, you know, oh, I need to calm down. I need to settle. I need peace. I need security. I need understanding. And what were they troubled about? Timing of the day of the Lord because there'd been this fake letter, fake news, truly that the day of the Lord had already come. So now we're thinking about peace. We've just said the Thessalonians were concerned about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. So the question that I've asked you is, how do the following verses comfort us as we wait for the return of Christ? Um, I know that we need peace in trials for today, and that can come through. So we have trials of today as we are waiting for the end of those trials when Jesus comes back. What does John 14, 27 tells us? Jesus gives us his peace, not peace that the world gives. And he says, don't let your heart be, hearts be troubled. Romans 15, 13 is a prayer and a trust to look to the Lord because the God of hope will fill us with all joy and peace in believing. Romans 16, 20 Yes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Soon is the biggest word I've written there. Looking forward to it being soon. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That verse is loaded with so much peace and instruction and um, like the peace of God that passes all understanding. We have something that those who don't have Jesus cannot understand. And sometimes we can have peace and not even understand how we can have peace. Next question. 
when and where can you experience the peace of Jesus? So, like to hear how some ladies did this almost as a fill in the blank. I can experience peace. So, how did you finish that statement? I said, I can experience peace always. I can experience peace in every way, in every place. And I continued, and this is because the Lord of peace is with me always. Then we move to the end of the letter where we remembered that Paul wanted to assure the Thessalonians that his letter was authentic, and that's one of the ways he wanted to comfort them. And we just saw from the verses that I gave you from Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians, that Paul used a scribe or Paul put his own signature on letters. So um, hopefully people took the opportunity to just pretend to be Paul, pretend to write with Paul's handwriting. Um, I was really messy (laughs) and thinking, you know, Paul might have had really bad handwriting, which could have been one of the reasons that he didn't write the letters. But he also said he wrote with very large letters, large uh, font, and some have used that statement to uh, give us a indication that Paul did not have very good eyesight and so he wrote very large large uh, he wrote with large letters then we I'm sorry I skipped something in the middle of page 101 why did the Thessalonians need to be reassured that this letter was really from Paul because they'd been troubled that a letter had come and it was as if it had been from Paul so Paul is just Putting that to rest. Then you are to look at the first and last verses of both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. What was the repeated concept found in all four places? This phrases, there were two words that were repeat. I'm sorry, that's not true. At the beginning, he said grace and peace. At the end, he said grace. So the One word that was repeated in all four places was grace. What does grace do for us? In Acts 15, 11, tells us we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. um, This is another place that maybe you can call on people. Just call their names and ask them to answer that verse. What does grace do for us in Acts 20, 32? God's grace is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among all who are sanctified. What does grace do according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9? God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is powerful. What does grace do for us according to Hebrews 13, 9? Grace strengthens my heart. Um... If they read the verse, that's one, I mean, like I've written, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That's one way I wrote it, but it's kind of cool to hear. Grace strengthens our hearts. So that's a little summary phrase. First Peter 4.10, God's grace gives us gifts with which we are to serve. So we are to be stewards of those gifts of grace. And... God's grace is described as, depending on your translation, varied, manifold, 
um, like, wow. It, and that word can mean one, one way to describe the varied and manifold is to say multicolored. And using the word multicolored just helps me picture the rainbow and the variety of facets of God's grace. Uh, so in the box, we have a reminder of what those verses that I've just given you summarize. Grace is essential not only for salvation, but also for endurance and for service and for growth and for giving. Believers experience God's enabling grace, his sanctifying grace. How? By trusting him and obeying his word, enduring chastening. We experience God's grace by doing good and by walking in the Spirit and by praying. Um, oh, you know, don't forget that you want to get to the end here and ask people to share. And I hope that they would be willing. So open this up to anyone to share one or some of the statements that you made. And it is an opportunity to express praise to God and to express trust in Him. This is encouraging to each other. So, um, you know, I've done this a couple of times. <laughs> so, I'll share with you um, two different kind of answers. Because it's interesting to me to see the difference. Some will be very similar, but anyway. Before the grace of Jesus, I was a sinner who did not know God and did not care. That was last time. This time, I said I was a sinner who was afraid and lost and blind. Next one, when I did this before. Accepting the grace of Jesus released me from the power of sin and Satan and from fear of the future. Very similar answer, but I just said this time. It released the accepting the grace of Jesus released me from sin and fear and peril. Previously, I said living in the grace of Jesus allows me to rest, to have hope, to have confidence, and to love others. Now, I kind of started getting a, a three-word answer in my mind. So I said living in the grace of Jesus allows me to laugh and love and live. Previously, I said trusting in the grace of Jesus gives me hope for today and tomorrow and troubles and overcoming sin and obeying the Lord, and it gives me hope for eternity. This time, I said trusting in the grace of Jesus gives me hope for today, tomorrow, and enduring trials. And then the last one, <laughs> there's a sim, there's, the answers are the same. Delighting in the grace of Jesus makes me sing, dance, thank him, smile, and share with others. And this time I just said sing, dance, and smile. You know, I was thinking about three words. So, um, I hope that ladies will share. So, just, uh... Do one phrase at a time and ask ladies to share. Don't ask, uh, let's do it that way, instead of having them read all of it. So they might not want to share every single one, but there may be one that they're more willing to share than another. And then we come to the 
ancient words and reflections. And I hope that they will have enjoyed the brief review and uh, come to the end and get to what is that? Turning a bunch of pages here. Page 108 and 109. Don't forget, there's a little bit more that you want to share as summaries. So just open these questions up to the ladies based on your study of the letters to the Thessalonians and the impact of Paul's teaching on your life. What title would you give to this study? Oh, it's really fun to me to see a whole bunch of answers as I took notes from others. Uh, this time, my answer was, well, the first one that came to mind was love and holiness, but then also I had more and more. Um, I'm looking to see. More and more is something I heard from a few. Uh, okay. So, I hope that somebody will share some fun titles. How would you summarize what you have learned? So just open it up. And what changes, if any, have God's ancient words brought about in your life? So, I hope that we have all been encouraged. I know we've been challenged. I hope we have been cooperating with God's sanctification in our lives. And somewhere, if you don't hear that word, make sure that word comes up. Because that could be the one word. But how can I? I never can boil it down to, to one concept when I'm looking at these letters. And if you didn't notice, there was one more little glitch on page 103 when I didn't change the sentence. The background of the cover with words and phrases, that was the first cover. The first cover had lots of Bible verses in the background. Huh. Yep, I really liked it. May our Lord... Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. It's been a delight getting to know the Thessalonians and Paul's instructions and exhortations and to be challenged and to be reminded of how much God loves us and Jesus has given himself for us and he is at work and he's coming back and we are going to see him and uh, we will all be together and we will be each other's joy and uh, crown of rejoicing and you leaders are certainly that a joy and a crown of rejoicing you are that for the ladies that you are serving, you are that to me as you help me so much and minister to others and share God's word. So thank you for that. And that's the end of the leader's guides to the letters to the Thessalonians. God bless you.